Well, good morning. Uh, b- before I uh, begin the message, just want to real quickly uh, draw attention to an upcoming event that's going to be happening on October 24th here at the church. It's in your worship guide as well. But uh, John Winrick, who's the president of our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, uh, is going to be here in Salina, uh, as well as Paul Robinson, who is the executive director of Love, Mercy, Do Justice. Uh, the council, we've invited John and Paul to come and to share with us about the vision and the priorities and direction of our denomination in response to some questions and, and, and concerns that need clarification from our denomination or from our congregation. John will be preaching at all three services, and then there'll be a congregational meeting that night. There'll be a light supper at six o'clock. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, please RSVP so we know how to prepare for food and plan for that. And then there'll be a congregational meeting uh, where John and Paul will share some vision and, and make some presentations. And then we can have a Q&A with them at that time. That's at 630. So hope to see you uh, at one or both of those events. You know, we are kicking off uh, this week, the third week, as we're reading through the Immerse uh, Bible reading experience together as a church. And we're working our way through the Old Testament prophets. Uh, we began our first week by looking at a passage from uh, Hosea 11, and we saw the, the depth and the extent of God's love, uh, this incredible, never-ending, everlasting love, despite the sins and the failure and the unfaithfulness of his people, God's love endures. And then last week we looked at a passage from Isaiah 29 and also a, a part of chapter 30, where we see in chapter 29 where, where God uh, condemns the people of Israel for their hypocrisy, uh, for going through the motions spiritually, uh, for being people who uh, prey upon the poor and, and the vulnerable. And God warns them in that passage. Uh, but then in chapter 30, God holds out a note of hope and, said, hope and says, if you come to me, if you return to me, if you rest in me, if you trust in me, then and only then will you find salvation. Well, this week, the passage that uh, was just read from Sonia, uh, the context has changed a little bit because the warnings have been realized. The judgment has fallen. The people did not return to God. They did not rest in God. And so the judgment has come. And, and the people of ba- the, the Babylonian Empire has, has come into, the, into Israel in 587 B.C. They destroyed much of Jerusalem and they've hauled the people off into captivity and exile. Now it's about five decades later, near the end of their exile, and the people who are hearing Isaiah's words, God's speaking through Isaiah, many of them would have, have no memory of, of Israel, of Jerusalem, because they would have been born in exile. And so they were relying upon the, the memories and, and the stories of, of their parents and grandparents, those who'd gone before them. And so the connection the, between them and, and, and the nation of Israel, the, the, the land of Israel, is, is, has been weakened a little bit because they're surrounded by Babylonian culture and, and, and religious practice and different values. And, and, and they begin to question themselves. And they begin to question God. Has God given up on us? Has God abandoned us? Uh, and they begin to question themselves. Uh, they're disoriented. They're, they're discouraged. They're despairing. They're, they're afraid. Afraid they'll never get to return home. Never go back to the temple. Never see loved ones who were scattered here and there or even left behind. Their world was, was rocked. Everything of, that, that, that was a part of who they were, what it meant to be the people of God, it seemed to have been stripped away. 
You know, sort of like a, you know, a professional athlete. You know, you see these athletes and they struggle after they retire because for years their identity, their whole life has been wrapped up in playing baseball or football or basketball or whatever. And they have, there's a period of adjustment as they almost have to redefine who they are in their identity. We see the same thing with people who maybe retire after years and years in a profession. A doctor, a lawyer, a businessman, a, a fireman, or whatever, and they, and they retire, and and they have to kind of have no longer this, and so they have to almost redefine who they are, and it's usually a period of, of of adjustment, or or maybe a person who who is strong and healthy, and they lose their health, they lose maybe even their mobility, and and their and maybe even their intellectual ability, as they're and and they have to ask themselves, who am I, and they have to redefine who they are. You know, we tend to define our identity by by things, you know, like our looks or our talents and abilities, um, by our intellect, by our country or ethnicity, by a political party, perhaps by our religious faith, by our, our family. But what happens? What happens if if much of that is stripped away? Who are we then? What do we base our identity upon? That's kind of what was happening with the people of Israel. Listen to this in 43 again. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God created you. We, we see this from the very beginning of the Bible. When, when human beings are created and says, God created we we created them we I created them in my image male and female they're in my image Isaiah 139 uh, where David writes this beautiful poem this 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 psalm where he talks about how God how God knew him before he was formed in his mother's womb and how how God has created him fearfully and wonderfully In Isaiah 43:1 we see the same he says, I am the one who created you. I am the one who formed you. And what that means is, no matter how we feel about ourselves or think about ourselves, no matter how other people may think about us or what they might say about us, our primary identity is in the fact that we are created and formed by God. You know, it seems increasingly that we care more and more about what other people think. I'm not saying everybody, but it's just a broad rate. But in general, it seems that we care more and more about what other people think. Social media has certainly accelerated this. Uh, I was reading an article this past week from uh, Atlantic Journal, Atlantic uh, Magazine, um, and they, they talk about this, how the, you know, the, the software engineers, the designers at, at social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, etc., how they have, they're aware of this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, this thing that we, we care about what other people think. They factored it in, and so we can receive a like, you know, for a, a new profile pic or a video or a meme that we share or, 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 or a comment or something like an article. And, and it says we, we get a little surge of dopamine in our brain and we feel good at some level, maybe even validated or, or valued. And they know that over time, people often will respond with more and more interaction as they get more and more likes and more and more comments. And, and, and of course, it means more advertising dollars for them. But they also know that 
a lack of positive feedback, a lack of likes or responses, for some people can lead to lower self-esteem and depression and mental health issues, especially for kids and teens and young adults. Maybe you saw in the news this past week, one of the headlines was that Facebook had decided to slow down on their plans to to uh, start a new Instagram for kids under 13. And they got a lot of pushback from uh, psychologists and educators and physicians and parental groups uh, because there's a concern that kids are not emotionally mature enough to handle this or secure enough in their identity and self-esteem to handle it, that it actually can end up causing harm. Our primary identity is found and formed in our status as children of God created in His image. And that means that even when things that have helped us formulate our self-image and and how people perceive us and how we perceive ourselves, even when those things are altered or stripped away in some way, uh, that our value does not change. At the core, God sees us the same as his children, each of us unique, especially formed by him. Let's look at the second part of this verse. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now, when this was written, the people of Israel had a lot to be anxious about. Remember, they're not in their homeland. Uh, they've never, many of them have never seen the temple. They've never seen Jerusalem. Their leaders are either dead or in exile or in prison. They've been uprooted from their homeland. They've been cut off from the temple and the synagogue. They have no real stay over their daily lives. They're slaves. Their world is topsy-turvy. They have a lot to be anxious and unsettled about. Can any of you relate to that? The events of the past almost two years, a year and a half, 20 months, whatever it's been, uh, created a lot of anxiety and turmoil and and fear and discouragement, depression and anger. And uh, much of life feels different because much of life has been different, hasn't it? I mean, everywhere we turn, uh, the headlines are alarming. And regardless of where you might be on all this and how you interpret all these things, how you feel about it, you probably don't like the direction things are going. But God's people are not to give in to worry or to fear. Do not be afraid, God says in Isaiah. Do not be afraid, the angel said to Joshua. Do not be afraid, Jesus said in John 14. 366 times in the Bible, God says, do not be afraid. You know, in 2020, I was reading this the other day. Bible searches soared online and a record number of people turned to scripture for passages that addressed our situation and circumstances. The popular YouVersion Bible app, which was started by a covenant church, Life Church in Oklahoma City. Um, they saw their increases, their searches increased by 80 percent in 2020, totaling nearly 600 million worldwide. The Bible app's number one top verse globally, as far as search went this year, Isaiah's assurance, do not be afraid. Ranked as number one in the U.S., India, South Africa, the Netherlands, the Philippines, and Ghana, the top verse was Philippians 4.8, do not be anxious. In Kenya, the number one verse was Romans 8.28, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And the founder of version, Bobby Grunwald, said, 
Through every hardship, people continue to seek God and turn to the Bible for strength, peace, and hope. While 2020 is a year so many say they'd like to forget, we see it as a year to remember how God used the Bible to help so many people who are searching for answers. Do not, do not be afraid. Why? Well, in Isaiah, our reason not to be afraid is tied to our identity and what God has done for us and how God views us. I have ransomed you. You know, you pay a ransom to to buy somebody back that you value. Uh, God pays the ransom. He purchases us back from, from sin and death. And we see this statement most fully realized in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. When Jesus pays the ransom and buys us back from sin and death to free us from fear. Why are we not to be afraid? Because of whose we are. We are children of God. Heirs of the King of Kings. God knows us and loves us specifically. How many billion? There's several billion people on the planet. And and God knows each one of them specifically. By name. Their full name. Their likes. Their dislikes. Where they're born. What's going on in life. He knows us specifically and loves us specifically. You know, I've got three kids. Two of them are boys. I know them by name. I'm proud to say. But once in a while... I'll get, I'll get twisted. You know, you, you, you start talking and things are happening and you just kind of read. I don't mean, know. I mean, JD or, or vice versa. My, my da- maybe you do that if you have kids. My, my dad used to do that. Still maybe does once in a while. Uh, my brother's name is Greg. And I used to think my name was Gradug. Uh, Gradug, you know, or, you know, so I get, I get you know, like, what? You know, don't you know who I am? I'm your son. God has countless children, but he never misspeaks. He calls us by name. And when the Lord of all, creator of the universe, when he says, I've paid for your sins, I know you by name, and you are mine, we don't have to be afraid. Because we have a God who cares and a God who is there for us always. He knows us personally, and he will be there for us. Verse 2. When you go through the deep waters... I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Now, this is a beautiful kind of poetic imagery here, isn't it? But it's more than just imagery. It's, it's, it's based on reality because... God is reminding the people of Israel how he has been there for them, how he has delivered them, and how he has come through for them. When you go through the deep waters, at the Red Sea, the people of Israel were trapped. As Pharaoh's armies advanced, God opened the deep waters and made a way. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When the people of Israel approach their promised land for the first time, they come to the Jordan, to the Jordan River, and it's at flood stage, and God opens a way for them. They do not drown. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow down to the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has, has built and ordered them to do so, they're thrown into a fiery furnace. But the Lord is there in the furnace with them. And they're not burned. We are fragile, frail, forgetful creatures. Despite what God has done in the past for his people, we are still prone to fear and to worry with difficult circumstances. 
But God has made a way for his people in the past, and he will make a way for us in the present and in the future. So we can take courage. In the town of Stepanavan, Armenia, there's a woman whom everybody calls Palestine's wife. She, she has her own name, of course, but everybody calls her Palestine's, Palestine's wife to show her honor because of what her husband did. When the, the big earthquake of 1988 hit Armenia, it was nearly noon and he was at work, Palestine, and he rushed to the elementary school where his son was a student. And the building was beginning to crumble on the outside, but he rushed inside and he helped 28 kids get to safety before it collapsed and killed him. And so the people of Stepanavan, they honor his memory and his young widow by calling her Palestine's wife. You see, sometimes a person's greatest honor is not who they are, but to whom they are related. And the highest honor of any believer is to be called a disciple of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. In Isaiah 43, God says, you are honored and I love you. You are honored. You know, something we all want is to be respected to be thought highly of, to, to be you know, honored. And we may or may not get that respect and honor from the world. But because of our identity in Christ, we are honored by God. We are held in high esteem. We are loved. Now, if your child is coming up against a big challenge, a good parent will tell his or her child before they go off to face a big challenge, a big test at school, they have a big role in a play or musical. They, they have a big game coming up, um, whatever it might be. A good parent says something like this. I'm proud of you. I love you. You can do this. I believe in you. And in a sense, that's what our Heavenly Father does for us as we live our lives. And what that means is we don't have to obsess or worry about the approval of others. God honors you. God loves you as his child. Finally, the last part of the passage. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. I will say to the north and the south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel. Bring all who claim me as their God. Bring them back. Bring them home. Is there a place in your life that you consider very special to you. It, it, it feels like home. It may not be where you live presently, but it, it's a place that when you're there, you're reminded of who you are. You think of the, the things and the people, the experiences that influence you. A place that has strong you know, emotional ties. It helps shape your identity. So in that sense, it's home. Well, for the Israelites... That place would have been the land of Israel, the temple, uh, the Jerusalem. I mean, it tied them to, to their identity. That they were God's chosen people. It, it was their home in that sense. But they were in exile. They were scattered. And they yearned for home. You know, sometimes God allows us to be pulled from what is familiar or comfortable so that we may find our identity and our value in him. And him alone. You know, I about almost, well, a year and a half or so ago, uh, almost two years, uh, Reed and I were traveling to Nebraska. 
and uh, just the two of us, and we had a little extra time, I thought, you know, I'd like to show him, you know, where I grew up. I mean, my, my parents sold the farm. They live in town now, so there's really no reason for me to go back there. It's off the beaten path, about 15 minutes off the road one way, so it's like, eh. But I thought, I'm going to do this. It had been a while since I'd been there. And so I, I drove uh, to the family cemetery. Five generations of McHenry's are buried there. There's grandma, there's grandpa, there's that sort of thing. Kind of cool. And then uh, we drove past to high school and through the downtown and then we drove out to the farm. And uh, growing up there, it was great. I mean, their um, farmhouse, a big shelter belt, and we'd, we'd play in the shelter belt and, and use our BB guns and we would, you know, play cowboys and Indians or soldiers or whatever you did back then. And we even camped a few times and you kind of imagine yourself and, you know, in the, out in the woods somewhere and you're, you're really just, you know, 60 yards from the house. But you know how that is. And, and, you, and there was a, a big silo, old silo you could climb and look all over and, and a barn and a pasture where we could walk out there and hunt pheasant or quail. And then we had a big arena where we'd ride horses, we'd break them and train them. And, and, and you know, it was a lot of wonderful memories, a lot of things that shaped me. But when we drove up to it, I wished I hadn't gone back. It had been a while because the shelter belt is totally gone. You know, it's all just they farm all the way up to the road. It's their place. They can do what they want. But it's like, uh, you know, and the pasture's gone. It's it's all it's all corn now. Uh, the barn is gone. Uh, the silo is gone. The arena is gone. Uh, it just it looks so different. Everything that you know, all these things that were so important to me, they're they're, they're gone. But then I realized as a little bit later, like, OK, what really is important, it still remains. It's, it still remains uh, the memories and experiences I had with my family there, the lessons that I learned. Those are the things that are still home for me, that that shaped me and, and, and ultimately made me who I am. It's not just a place. You know, circumstances change, but God's plans and purposes do not and ultimately, home is not a, a physical location in this world, but it's with God. And so God has this plan and a purpose is to bring us home, to remind us of who we are, our identity, to, to remind us of his love for us, his commitment to us. He's made a promise to do that, and God always keeps his promises. And so in our lives, there are going to be times when we feel unsettled, we're anxious because Things have changed. A loved one passes away. A marriage falls apart. We get older. Our, phys- our, our, our health changes. Whatever it might be, all these things, you know, the, the house we grew up in no longer looks the same. Where it's gone. And it feels like maybe we're never going to be at home again. But God has a plan and a purpose to bring you home. To redeem your life. To make a way through the waters and through the fire to honor and love you, to bring you home with all of God's people. Because he is the God who is there, always, never far away, never takes a day off, never out of control, never abandoning us, always there. And he loves us, and he's redeemed us, and we are his So, do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us and for the truth of your words that were spoken and recorded over 2,000 years ago. 
Father, we thank you that our identity is based in you and your acceptance of us and the fact that we're created in your image and that you love us and have redeemed us. Lord, help us not to give in to worry or fear or anxiety when circumstances change, when everything seems unsettled. Help us to try find our, our true home, our true hope in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you're always there for us. We thank you that you love us. So, Lord, help us not to be afraid or to worry, but to trust in you. Amen.